Well, we're turning this evening to 2 Samuel, to 2 Samuel and to chapter 2. This uh, portion of scripture is um, quite wide-ranging, so it's not just the second chapter, but it goes on into uh, the things which uh, also appear in later chapters, but we'll reference them when we come to them. We want to begin our reading in 2 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 8. But Abner, the son of Ner, captain of Saul's host, took Ish-bosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim, and made him king over Gilead, and over the Asherites, and over Jezreel, and over Ephraim, and over Benjamin, and over all Israel. Ish-bosheth, Saul's son, was forty years old when he began to reign over Israel, and reigned two years. But the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. And Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ish-bosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahanaim to Gibeon. And Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and the servants of David went out and met together by the pool of Gibeon. And they sat down, the one on the one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner said to Joab, Let the young men now arise and play before us. And Joab said, Let them arise. Then there arose arose and went over by number twelve of Benjamin, which pertained to Ish-bosheth, the son of Saul, and twelve of the servants of David. And they called every one his fellow by the head, and thrust his sword in his fellow's side. So they fell down together. Wherefore that place was called Helkath Hatserim, which is in Gibeon. And there was a very sore battle that day, and Abner was beaten, and the men of Israel before the servants of David. And there were three sons of Zeruiah there, Joab and Abishai and Asahel. And Asahel was as light of foot as a wild roe. And Asahel pursued after Abner. And in going, he turned not to the right hand nor to the left from following Abner. Then Abner looked behind him and said, Art thou Asahel? And he answered, I am. And Abner said to him, Turn thee aside, to the right hand or to thy left, and lay thee hold on one of the young men and take thee his armor. But Asahel would not turn aside from following of him. And Abner said again to Asahel, Turn thee aside from following me. Wherefore should I smite thee to the ground? How then should I hold up my face to Joab thy brother? Howbeit he refused to turn aside. Wherefore Abner with the hinder end of the spear smote him under the fifth rib, and the spear came out behind him, and he fell down there and died in the same place. And it came to pass that as many as came to the place where Asahel fell down and died stood still. Joab also and Abishai pursued after Abner, and the sun went down when they were come to the hill of Ammon that lieth before Gaia by the way of the wilderness of Gibeon. And the children of Benjamin gathered themselves together after Abner and became one troop and stood on the top of an hill. Then Abner called to Joab and said, Shall the sword devour forever? Knowest thou not that it will be bitterness in the latter end? How long shall it be then ere ere thou bid the people return from following their brethren? And Joab said, As God liveth, unless thou hadst spoken, 
Surely then in the morning the people had gone up every one from following his brother. So Joab blew a trumpet and all the people stood still and pursued after Israel no more. Neither fought they any more. And Abner and his men walked all that night through the plain and passed over Jordan and went through all Bithron and they came to Mahanaim. And Joab returned from following Abner, and when he had gathered all the people together, there lacked of David's servants nineteen men and Asahel. But the servants of David had smitten of Benjamin and of Abner's men, so that three hundred and threescore men died. And they took up Asahel and buried him in the sepulchre of his father, which was in Bethlehem. And Joab and his men went all night, and they came to Hebron at break of day. Amen. We thank the Lord for this reading of his word. Let's bow and ask the Lord's help. Our Father, as we open up the scriptures once again tonight, we pray uh, that we might find here uh, instruction and teaching to our own hearts. And Lord, we thank thee for the records which are given to us, and we recognize that the word of God is very concise. And Lord, that those things which are written are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. We pray then that thou wilt give us uh, some uh, understanding of what happens here and how that relates to us in this day and age. We pray, Father, that thou wilt cause us to be wise and that we might take to ourselves the instructions of the word of God. Lord, that we might know that these things are written for our admonition. And so hear us, we ask thee and continue with us tonight. And Lord, give us that wisdom of heart and a, a hearing heart and an understanding heart to receive the word and to meditate upon it for this short time. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to take a particular verse here this evening, uh, and that is the verse which says in verse 14, And Abner said to Joab, Let the young men now arise and play before us. And Joab said, Let them arise. Let them arise and play before us. So here we have a, the words uh, which seem to be almost instrumental. Well, let's let them get up and let, let them play us some music, but that's not what's being said here. What is being said is here, uh, let them have some martial uh, sport before us. Let them make sport before us. And so these young men, uh, 12 from the servants of David and 12 from the servants of Ishbosheth go and they join each other in, in battle and their sport is to fight and they die they die perhaps all together they die perhaps one at a time but they die all of them how sad that that should be and that there should be such a likeness uh, to consider the death of these people these young men uh, the, the fact that it's young men that are dying here so often it is the young men of course the young men in whom is that spirit of battle uh, those young men who wish to show their strength who wish to show uh, that they are more capable than their brethren and we see it of course in this country in these days so many uh, we have heard of even in london who have been stabbed to death uh, as one will flex his muscles so to speak before another uh, they will not receive any kind of a slight uh, they will stand and they will fight. 
And here, this is not at the behest of the young men particularly, although I I have no doubt that they uh, stood for their particular side and were quite ready to go into battle, thought each one of them that they would be the winner in their battle, but they all died. And that, of course, is the, uh, the, the way of the sword, isn't it? Uh, as Jesus says, and has been sort of translated into the English language, uh, an English proverb, they that lives by the sword shall die by the sword. And so it was. So I want to consider this uh, time which really followed after the death of Saul when uh, there was something of a vacuum in power and how that Abner takes the one side and David, of course, is accepted by Judah and is made king in Hebron, as we read there in the 11th verse. And I have entitled this um, uh, sermon uh, as uh, uh, perhaps one which will uh, uh, pique the interest, The Game of Thrones. There's a a program on television called The Game of Thrones. But it's just the fact that here in this verse, Abner said to Joab, let the young men now arise and play before us. A game, a game, and a game of thrones, of course. It is exactly that. And uh, I've often said that uh, the fictions of this world are are so often found in the scripture. Uh, Not as fictions, but in actual fact. Uh, They say that truth is stranger than fiction. And so it is. And here we have these very things being enacted. Perhaps not in so uh, many uh, facets, but certainly they are here. The first thing I want to consider with you then is the intrigue of power. Secondly, the pursuit of of power and finally the possessor of power the intrigue of power it's interesting to note abner abner is a a character which is which has been there but not really noticed someone who has been through the narrative as we have looked through first samuel and as we have continued considered uh, different things never really stopped to consider abner abner is the man behind the scenes abner it seems to me is the one who's pulling the strings Abner is a, an intelligent man. Abner is a, is a man which, uh, who has purpose in himself and sees where he wants to go and it seems also is able to manipulate uh, situations and people in the way that he would like them to go. I just want to draw your attention to these things because as I was considering Abner and what goes on here, it, it occurred to me that perhaps Abner was a part of Saul's problem that perhaps Abner, who is Saul's uncle, perhaps Abner was there talking in Saul's ear, his counsellor. He was the captain of Saul's host. And perhaps it was Abner uh, who might have brought to Saul's attention the things that were against him. That Saul perhaps would have been more likely to have been a faithful servant of Jehovah if he hadn't Abner speaking in his ear. Is it possible and this is one of the things I, I uh, hate about some newspaper ad, uh, headlines when they say, could it be or is it possible? And I sort of look at the headline and think, well, that's what you're there for. Why are you asking me? You know, why are you asking the people if this is possible or not? You're supposed to be there as a journalist to find out whether it is possible or whether it did happen. But here, of course, we are asking the question, is it possible that that Abner was involved much more than he appears to be? So let's just look at a few scriptures here. If we turn back to 1 Samuel in chapter 10 to start off with, this is where we first find Abner. 1 Samuel and chapter 10. 
And in verse 12, this is where Saul has gone out. He's been, he has seen Samuel. Samuel has anointed him and sent him back. And Saul is returning to his home. The first Samuel 10 and verse 12, and one of the same place answered and said, but who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, is Saul also among the prophets? And when he had made an end of prophesying, he came to the high place. And Saul's uncle said unto him, he's not even named here. Saul's uncle said unto him and to his servant, whither went ye? And he said, to seek the asses. And when we saw that they were nowhere, we came to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, tell me, I pray thee, what Samuel said unto you. And Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the asses were found. But know these words, but of the matter of the kingdom whereof Samuel spake, he told him not. And we might ask the question, why didn't he tell him about that? We might also ask the question, why was Saul's uncle so interested? If Saul had been prophesying and that it became a proverb, is Saul also among the prophets? Had Abner heard about this? Was Abner looking to find out what was going on? so that he might get his hands into it and be involved in it. Certainly, he became involved in it greatly as the captain of Saul's hosts. So we see that Abner is someone who is a, a perceptive man, a man who is interested in what's going on. And I suggest that uh, behind these few words, and as I've so often said, the, the scripture is, is very compact, but behind these few words... Now, perhaps we are seeing someone who is far more influential than he appears on the surface. And, of course, those kind of people are very, very important in all kinds of situations because someone gets blamed, but it's not the person who is actually behind the situation. The person who is the figurehead gets the blame. The person who is uh, uh, manipulating the situations, nobody knows even who they are. This has been said, of course, about governments, uh, that when governments fall, uh, where was the actual problem? Can we expect the ministers of our government to know everything about everything? What's going on in every situation? Is it not possible that those who are uh, supposed to be serving them have their own purposes, their own ways? Of course, this was a, a part of the, uh, the plot, wasn't it, in Yes Minister and Yes Prime Minister? Uh, when the, the ministers and the prime minister wanted to do something and, uh, and the civil service, they sort of manipulated it so it came around to what they wanted. Eh, perhaps Abner is similar to this. We see then not only his perceptiveness but also his position. We turn over a few pages to chapter 14 of 1 Samuel. Chapter 14 and verse 50, uh, we read this, And the name of Saul's wife was Ahinoam, the daughter of Ahimeaz, and the name of the captain of his host was Abner, the son of Ner, Saul's uncle. There's the connection with that verse which went before. And Saul's uncle said unto him and to his servant, Whither went ye? Abner, the son of Ner, Saul's uncle. And then in chapter 17 and verse 55, And when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistines, he said unto Abner, the captain of the host, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As thy soul liveth, O king, I cannot tell. But Abner wants to be able to tell. Perhaps he is somewhat surprised that he had not heard of this young man, 
that someone could come and fight against this great giant and defeat him, and yet Abner didn't know who he was? Why is it Saul comes to this captain and asks him? Because Abner perhaps always knew the answers. Abner had his, had his fingers in so many pies. He knew what was going on in the land. And his answer here, in the words, of course, of the chronicler who has written these things, his answer perhaps is, is also uh, quite interesting. As thy soul liveth, O king, I cannot tell. Then in 1 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 25, we read, And the king sat upon his seat as at other times, even upon a seat by the wall. And Jonathan arose, and Abner sat by Saul's side, and David's place was empty. Abner sat by Saul's side. You know, it begins to come to my mind that perhaps Abner is the one who is recognizing that, that this young man, who he didn't know in the beginning, is a danger to his own position, to the position of their house. And although it is Saul who has been made king, that Abner is somewhat involved or perhaps more involved than we, uh, than we have recognized. And that it is he who seeks to control the kingdom. We, we, we find in this uh, second book of, of Samuel, of course, that he, it is, Abner, who takes Ishbosheth, Saul's son, and takes him to Mahanaim, which is uh, one of the Levitical cities, the cities of refuge. It is he who keeps him safe. And it seems that he is, it is he also uh, who is in control of the country, even though Ishbosheth is the king, yet Abner's now the captain of his host. Interesting character, this man. And then we go on from his position at the, at the side of Saul, having his ear, of course, and being able to uh, enter into all that is going on in the kingdom, to Abner's presence. Abner's presence. In 1 Samuel chapter 26, we're moving on through the book of 1 Samuel, perhaps, uh, but to uh, chapter 26 and verse 15. And David said to Abner, this is, if you remember, wasn't that very long ago? It was when David was, had gone into the camp of, the, of, of Saul. And he had walked through and the Lord had made sure that everybody was sleeping. And he had gone through the whole of the camp and he had found Saul. And he saw Saul's uh, um, uh, spear there and his, and his water bottle. And how that he was able to take uh, with him that which belonged to Saul and stand upon the hill. And to say, I was able to come right into your camp. I could have killed Saul at that moment. Where were you, Abner? This is what he is saying here. And David said to Abner, Art not thou a valiant man? And who is like thee in Israel? Wherefore then hast thou not kept the Lord thy king? Thy Lord the king? For there came one of the people in to destroy the king, thy Lord. And, and that seems to fit into this whole scenario. That David is now beginning to see that it is more Abner than it is Saul who is against him. And we'll see something else about that in a moment. Because Saul, when we consider his responses to David, is not as hard against David as you might expect. It's almost as though Saul is fighting against David. Saul is uh, seeking David to kill David. And although it's always put at Saul's feet, yet... When he actually comes into contact with David, he is, he, he's, not, he's not that violent a man. 
So here we see in 1 Samuel then, going back a couple of chapters to 1 Samuel 24 and verse 16. And it came to pass when David had made an end of speaking these words unto Saul, that Saul said, Is this thy voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Almost as though he didn't really want to be there. Almost as though he realized that this was a foolish thing that he was doing, seeking to to kill David when David is not really against him. And yet here he is. Could it be? I'm asking you the question once again. Uh, You might be looking to me for the answer, but I can't be sure of the answer. So I'll just put it to you uh, and let you think about this for yourself. Could it be that Abner is the one who is winding Saul up that he needs to destroy David? That he needs to destroy David? We might say, well, then Saul surely wasn't so bad uh, and it wasn't really his fault. Saul was the king. Saul was the anointed one. Saul was the one who uh, God had uh, told to be obedient to him and to, uh, and to rule his people. And of course, Saul should be answering to God and not to Abner, if this scenario is correct. So either way, either Saul doesn't listen to the Lord at all, or else uh, Saul is listening to Abner rather than the Lord. But either way, he's not listening to the Lord, and the Lord rejects him. We go on then in chapter 26 and verse 21 and said, then said Saul, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do thee harm, because my soul was, my soul was precious in thine eyes this day. Behold, I have played the fool and have erred exceedingly. And in verse 25, also that same 26th chapter, then Saul said to David, Blessed be thou, my son David, thou shalt do shalt both do great things and also shalt still prevail. So David went on his way and Saul returned to his place. See, the Saul has more perception. Saul has more of an understanding of what's going on here. And that when he, is, when he actually comes face to face with David, he, he realizes that he's not right. That what he's doing is not right. And he seems to know that it's not right. It's interesting, Saul is, a, is an interesting character from the beginning because remember when they were uh, going to take him to make him king and to anoint him before the people and, and to proclaim him king, they couldn't find him. Where was he? He was hidden among the stuff. Hidden among the stuff. He was hiding. And so he, he isn't the kind of character really to, to be that bullish and maybe it is Abner who is the bullish one it is Abner is saying into his ear, you need to do this, you need to do that. And of course, some of us are, are, are not that uh, uh, extrovert to go and do things and, and people will egg us on and they will say, well, you need to do this and you need to do that. And if you're not quite sure what to do yourself, then you take their advice. And, but the advice of men is not always good advice. We need to know the word. We need to know the Lord. We need to walk with the Lord. So we find this man then, his involvement, his perceptiveness, his position, and his presence. He is always a presence in the background. Secondly, Abner's intent. His intent, of course, in 2 Samuel is to retain the throne. And we read in verse 8, But Abner, the son of Ner, captain of Saul's host, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim and made him king king 
I find those words very interesting as well. It is not Ishbosheth who says to Abner, Abner, will you be my captain? Uh, will you be with me? Let us go to Mahanaim. Uh, there we will be safe because it's a city of refuge. Uh, perhaps the fear is that David, having seen the death of Saul, would now come off, come and, and finish off his family. That's not David's way, of course. But nevertheless, uh, it could be that that is the suggestion here. And again, uh, perhaps it's just occurring to me now, perhaps again, it is Abner who is saying, David's going to come and kill you. You better come with me. We'll go to Mahanaim. You'll be safe there. It's the other side of Jordan. And you'll be safe there. I've got a map, actually, uh, which I, I, I brought to put up on the screen. So you can see where Mahanaim is. Hopefully you can see uh, the um, Sea of Galilee at the top there, the Dead Sea uh, toward the bottom, and uh, the River Jordan running down the middle. And Mahanaim is on the other side, away from where David is. Uh, David is in, uh, is in Hebron. Uh, which is, if you see the arrow going to Gibeon, it's almost directly underneath Gibeon, if you follow down at the bottom of the red square uh, we have there, Hebron. So that's where David is, and they've gone to Mahanaim, which is one of the Levitical cities, uh, far away on the other side of Jordan. And perhaps the thought there is to say, well, let's get Ishbosheth afraid of David. It's not long before they're back again. They come back to Gibeon, uh, which you can see there at the top of the red square. So they come back to Gibeon, but perhaps by that time, the, the plot is set. So Abner's intent is to, to retain the throne. Now, we have just read what Saul says to David. Thou shalt both do great things and also shalt still prevail. And Saul has recognized that God's hand is with him, that the Lord has blessed him, that Saul's reign is nearing its end. And that David will be the next king. He is beginning to see this. Or he has seen it for a long time. But now Abner, he refuses all of this. Because the kingdom needs to continue. Because he is the captain of Saul's host. He has the ear of the king. And he has the control of the king. Perhaps his purpose is here to reign through Ishbosheth. If you turn over to chapter 3 of 2 Samuel, there's something else which we can say here. And that is in verse 7. And Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah. And Ishbosheth said to Abner, Wherefore hast thou gone in unto my father's concubine? That's particularly interesting because when the same thing happened under Saul's reign, at the end of David's life, David was an old man. He couldn't get heat into his body. And so he had a concubine whose name was Abishag. And Abishag uh, slept with him, but the scripture says, but David didn't know her. So there was no sexual connection there, but she kept him warm. After, that, after the death uh, of David, of course, uh, the, the, this um, concubine uh, continued and and. She lived on. She was a, a young woman, uh, and so she continued. Uh, and it was one of the king's one of the king's sons. I'm trying to think, remember his name. I'm just trying to find it there. It's, it's around here somewhere because I read it the other day. Um, we were talking about though, the the sons that he had in Hebron. I can't see it. It's somewhere around. 
Oh, yeah, it's in chapter 3, right at the beginning there. I thought it was somewhere around there on the page. So uh, here it was then, um, Adonijah. Uh, Adonijah, who is the fourth son of the, or the, the son of the fourth wife of David. Adonijah, after David's death, wants to marry Abishag. And Solomon says, well, will we give him the kingdom as well? Because if he has one of the, uh, the king's uh, concubines, then he will be made king. He is claiming his right to the throne. And it was because he did that that Solomon had him put to death. Because he sought to take the kingdom that which had been given to Solomon. Of course, Solomon uh, was a wise man. So a similar thing is here. Here we have uh, Abner who seeks to marry or to, to uh, receive uh, to himself, marry, uh, in fact, Rizpah, who was Saul's concubine. What is he doing here? He is almost taking the kingdom to himself. Ishbosheth is the figurehead, but Abner is going to be the king, in actual fact. He wants to reign through Ishbosheth. And Ishbosheth is also a man who is weak. In fact, if you continue on down there, we see what goes on. And uh, he says to, uh, to Abner, Ishbosheth says to Abner in verse 7, Wherefore hast thou gone in unto my father's concubine? Then was Abner very wroth for the words of Ishbosheth and said, Am I a dog's head which against Judah do show kindness this day unto the house of Saul thy father to his brethren and to his friends? And have not delivered thee into the hand of David that thou chargest me today with a fault concerning this woman? So he goes off on one, uh, to put it in modern parlance. And he says, who do you think I am? Who do you think you are that you should speak to me in this way? I haven't given you to David. I've stood against David. I've been on your side and you're going to accuse me. And he goes on, verse 9, So do God to Abner and more also, except as the Lord hath sworn to David, even so I do to him, to translate the kingdom from the house of Saul and to set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah, from Dan even to Beersheba. And he could not answer Abner a word again. He feared him. Ishbosheth feared him. I wonder if Saul feared him too. It was his uncle after all, an older man, a wiser man. A man who had his uh, hand or his finger upon all the happenings of the land. A clever man. Uh, you do begin to wonder who this Abner is. And what a danger he is to David. What a danger he is to all the purposes which are in David. And so we see here then Abner's intent. And that is to reign. It is to reign either in or with or by Ishbosheth. Or perhaps in the marrying of Rizpah, his uh, Saul's concubine, taking the, the reins of power himself. So we see then this pursuit of power. Uh, here is this man who desires power. And how many times in this world have problems and troubles and wars and, uh, and uh, uh, difficulties ar arisen because of the pursuit of power. We see here the clash of wills. In verse 13 of, of 2 Samuel 2, the clash of wills, because not only do we have Abner, but we have Joab, the son of Zeruiah. Uh, Joab is David's nephew. So it's all familial here. Joab is David's nephew. Zeruiah is David's sister. 
and Joab is his nephew, and Joab is a man of blood. Uh, Abner is, of course, a great warrior, the captain of the king's host, and Joab is also a great warrior, the captain of David's host. And we find later on, actually, in the book of Samuel, uh, that Joab is, uh, is a, a vicious, vicious character. Uh, and uh, David says on one occasion, what will I do unto thee, thou sons of Zeruiah? And he laments having such men of blood with him because they are without mercy, because they are so hard. So here is this clash of wills. And we have them, one on the one side of the pool uh, of Gibeon and one on the other side. Uh, I have a picture here uh, which pertains to be the pool of Gibeon. Um, it's a cistern. And here we can see a, a, a picture of, of some of the people going down into it, or some people going down to it. Modern picture, of course, not one from Bible times. They have cameras in those days. Uh, and we can see also in the second picture here uh, that the area around it is quite flat. It's a place where uh, battles could easily be fought. And they were sitting the one side and the other of the pool. So it wasn't a great lake. It was a system which was dug into the ground. And the, 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 the men could sit around. And so we, we find there was one on the one side and one on the other. And Abner really is flexing his muscles, as we used the term earlier. And he is saying to, to Joab, let the young men now arise and play before us. Let's see who is the strongest of us. Uh, let's see who has the, uh, the better car, the better watch the better phone. Let's see who has the better army. Let's see whose men are going to win this battle. And we'll just stand toe to toe. But we'll not fight each other. But we'll let the young men play before us. A clash of wills. And Joab, of course, being a, a man of uh, like uh, uh, purpose with Abner, says, let them arise. Let's see. Let's try it. Uh, let's see them fight. And so this battle ensues and we find that the young men are killed. How often it is that when wars arise, it's the young men. It's not those who start the wars. It's not those who seek the power. It's just the ordinary people who die. It's them who suffer over and over again throughout history. So it has been and so it will be if such wars arise. We see then the callousness of war. Let the young men now arise and play before us. Play? play this is a matter of life and death and yet it's just a game to these men they have fought the, they, they have played the game the battles that they have had uh, the hiding the hide and seek around the mountains as Saul brings his armies to seek David and Joab and his brethren and all of the people of David are, are, are hiding so that they can't be found and now it has become one against one it has become army against army and they went over and they fought. How callous war really is. And it's Abner then who is defeated. Who calls to Joab in verse 26. And says shall the sword devour forever. Knowest thou not that it will be bitterness in the latter end. But Abner was it not you who called the young men to, uh, to play before you. And now having been defeated. Are you willing to stop the battle. How long shall it be. Ere thou bid the people return from following their brethren. Abner has changed his mind. Why? Because he is losing. Because he is losing. Here we have these, uh, this callousness and uh, this 
uh, horror which is going on around then. And if Abner's not going to win, then what is his purpose? He seems to change his purpose, doesn't he? Because when he gets angry with uh, Ish-bosheth there in the, chapter, uh, in the third chapter, he said that he would go to David and he would make David to be uh, the king over Israel instead. Perhaps he thought that he could find some place there. And it's quite interesting that when Abishai follows after Abner, uh, that Abner says that, that he, uh, how would he lift up his face before your brother? How would I lift up my face before thy brother Joab? Because he is thinking, how is he going to be connected to this new dynasty? Where will his place be? And we see then the casualties of wrath. And the casualties so often. And the casualty of wrath here in this pursuit, first of all, is Asahel himself. As Abner says to him, art thou Asahel? He says, I am. And he warns him and he says, turn aside from following me. He was a captain. He was a, a mighty warrior. And Asahel was a young man. Asahel may have been fleet of foot, but he wasn't able to take on Abner in battle. But he thought he was. But Abner kills him. He smites him with the hinder end of the spear. I don't know how that happened. Perhaps Asahel was following him. Perhaps they were running or jogging along the road. Perhaps Abner uh, just stops, digs the front of his spear into the ground. The hinder end would probably be sharpened also because that would help in battle. And he, the, perhaps Asahel ran, ran onto it. Perhaps there was a battle, perhaps there was a fight. But whatever it was, he kills Asahel. Oh, death, death surrounds them for the pursuit of power. People die for the pursuit of power. What a contrast it is when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ. We read there from Matthew 26 because Peter drew his sword and cut off the high priest's servant's ear. And Jesus said, put up your sword. Do you not think that I could even now call for legions of angels? But that's not the way it will be. The increase of his government and of peace, Isaiah puts it. Oh, the Lord Jesus Christ does not come with battle. He doesn't come with war. He doesn't come with death and destruction. Indeed, the Lord Jesus Christ gives his own life so that there wouldn't be death and destruction, so that we might come by faith, that we might believe in him, that we might trust in him, that we might walk together. And so we find that Abner, uh, that Asahel is slain, a casualty of the wrath of man. And then, of course, the next thing we read in chapter 3, uh, or uh, rather, uh, yeah, in chapter 3 and verse 27, is that Abner returns to Hebron. Joab takes him aside in the gate to speak with him quietly and smote him under the fifth rib that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. Tip for tap. Now Asahel is dead. And then Joab slays Abner. That's the next one. And then we find that Ishbosheth himself um, are, are taken, uh, is taken. We read they, in verse, chapter 4, verse 6, they came thither into the midst of the house as though they would have fetched wheat, and they smote him under the fifth rib. And Rechab and Baana, his brother, escaped. And they took, actually, Ishbosheth's head so they could bring it to David. They bring it to David, and David commanded his young, and they slew them and cut off their hands and their feet and hanged them up over the pool in Hebron. 
but they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the sepulchre of Abner in Hebron. Death, more death, more death still, and even more death, because that is the way of man. Because man, seeking after power, is not interested in whoever might be hurt by it. But that is not the gospel, and that is not the Lord's way. The true possessor of power, of course, in all of this that is going on here, in all the shenanigans of Abner and Joab, uh, the true possessor of power is the Lord. And we read of him there in the first Samuel in chapter 2. So long ago we were in chapter 2 of first Samuel. But it is the song of Hannah. And she sings and she says in verse, uh, chapter 2 and verse 8 of first Samuel, He raiseth up the poor out of the dust, and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill, to set them among princes, and make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he hath set the world upon them. This prophecy from so long ago, because David is to be king. And for all that man does, and all of man's purposes to fight against God, and to take positions for himself, all those things... Even the deaths which come forth, even the corruptions, even the wars, even the horrors which man will uh, put upon himself and upon others around him, all of those things God will overthrow and he will have his purpose. The Lord Jesus Christ has been, uh, has been set upon his holy hill. When men in Psalm 2, it says, the kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. This is the heart of man. And, and those who hear the gospel even this day, their heart is, well, we don't want God. We will break his bands asunder and cast away his cords from us. The men continually seek to do so. And they're having a great effect in this land of ours in these days. But we go on in Psalm 2. In the fourth verse it says, He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Jesus Christ is the victor. He is the victor. We don't see yet uh, the Lord Jesus coming into this world in his great might and power. We don't yet see all things put under his feet, as the writer to Hebrews say, says, but we see Jesus. Jesus is the Lord's king. And, Jesus will set, uh, and God will set him up upon his holy hill of Zion. And for all that man might say against him, and for all of the purposes that man has in this day and age, Jesus Christ is the king. Brothers and sisters, if we are in Christ Jesus, then should they take our lives, we can still not be defeated. I am persuaded, Paul says, that neither uh, life nor death uh, nor any other creature can, is able to separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We are victorious because Christ is victorious. This world is but for a time. Death comes and death will come to us all. But if we are in Christ, the victory is still ours. We will stand in the presence of the Lord rejoicing that our God is in the heavens and he hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us.